Acts chapter 15, reading from verse 30. So when they had, so when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and were gathered and gathered the congregation together. They delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. So there's a relation I see here. The, the, the people were really excited about the fact that the men didn't have to be circumcised. And there's an interesting passage about where a group of men, grown men, had to be circumcised. And I want to just bring a few points out of that. So that passage is actually back in, in Genesis chapter 34. In Genesis chapter 34, we read this portion about how uh, Jacob's sons had gone out and were, were actually going out in Exodus 34 and had gone out and caused some real trouble. But it first started with one of Jacob's daughters. And so we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 34. And uh, uh, we're going to skip on down to a certain portion and we begin to read. Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it, and acquire property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, If I find favor in your sight, when I will give, I will give you whatever you, you say to me. Ask me whatever, such, whatever so much bridal payment and my gift, and I will give you according as you say to me. But give me the girl in marriage." But Jacob's son answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit, because he had defiled their Dinah, Dinah, their sister. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give you our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you, if you will become like us in that every male of you be circumcised. Then we will give you our daughters and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Okay, so remember, the relation here between what we're learning in in Acts chapter 15 and now here in Genesis chapter 34 is merely the relation of circumcision and an incident that occurred. In, In Genesis chapter 34... It says that Dinah, one of Jacob's daughters, went down, and it says that she went to visit the daughters of the land. So Dinah went out to visit people that were not from her own group. Remember, there were the Israelites, and then there were the people of that land. And she went out to visit the daughters of that land. And it says, when Shechem, this is in Genesis 34, verse 2, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, He took her and he lay with her by force. So here was the prince of that tribe of people. He sees this young woman and he's attracted to her. And it says that he was deeply attracted to her and he lay with her by force. So she got raped here in this land. And then it says that in verse 3 that he spoke to her tenderly. And then the message that he went, he went to his father and he says, Hey, speak to Jacob this Hebrew man, speak to him and tell him that I'd like to marry his daughter. Now, when Jacob's sons find out, of course, they're really upset. So you can understand this. We still feel these feelings today. If a, if a man's brother, if a, if a man's sister is raped, this man feels, feels this, this great anger toward the one who raped her. 
But it's interesting what Dinah was doing. Dinah was visiting groups of women who she knew she ought not to visit, the women of that land, the people they would have no relations with. This is not just something that's isolated for women, not at all. She didn't ask to be raped. She was forced, it says. He lay with her by force. Both men and women have a tendency at times to go places we ought not to go, to be with people that we ought not to be with. It happens to men too. Men will go and and hang out with unbelievers at times. Believers will go out and hang out with unbelievers and end up doing things they wished they had never done. Women will sometimes go and be with other women doing things they wished that they had never done. As a result of this, it seemed that, that, that uh, uh, they went and they proposed. And so, in fact, this group of people, and as we read on in the chapter, and you can read this on your own because it's a little bit off my point, but I think what we want to underscore is we need to be careful who we deal with and what groups of people. We have friends in the world as to the extent that we want to witness to them. But to the extent that they pull us into the things that they do, it has gone too far. And there's this this age-old analogy that we do a lot of times with with high school students when we teach them. We say, here, you stand here on this chair. And And this guy stands on the chair. And now I say, okay, now pull me up on the chair with you. And they pull and they pull and they can't get me up there. And I say, watch this. And I just hold their hand and I step back. I pull them right off the chair. It's much easier to pull a person down than it is to pull them up. And we need to watch out where we relate and who we hang out with. I need to do that. You know, there are certain people, even at my age, that I cannot hang around with in certain situations. I can't go to places that they go. So if I'm on a business trip and the guys are going to go at a certain place, I can't go there. And even in the name of wanting to be a witness, I cannot go there. There are places that I cannot go. There are movies that I can't watch. I won't bring a movie into my home that I don't feel comfortable sitting with my children with watching. People say, oh, well, you know, we, we watch movies and the kids aren't there. I say, well, that's fine for you. I can't do that because this big H shows up on my forehead called hypocrite. And, and I can't watch movies that I wouldn't watch with my own children sitting there in the room with me. That's just who I am. So there's a lot of movies that I can't go to and that I can't bring into my home. I don't go to movies with my wife and just leave the kids at home because it's not good for the kids to see this movie. I don't do it. And as a result, I haven't seen an R movie in 30 years. I see PG-13 is a little rough for me. And a lot of times we'll rent movies and it'll get to a point we just stop. We say, enough. And the kids understand This has gone too far. And we stop the movie and we just return it to Blockbuster and we say, give me a different movie. This one was too rough for us. And we return it. There are things that we can't do as believers because they take us into places that are just trouble for us. Just trouble. And this group of people actually went and they got circumcised and then two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, went out and killed the entire clan of of men while they were in pain from their circumcision. And it wasn't a really good thing to do. It caused a whole lot of trouble for Jacob. And in fact, it caused Simeon and Levi to be cursed 
in, 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 in Genesis chapter 49 by their father, when he was pronouncing blessings over each of them, telling them what was going to happen, he pronounced curses over Simeon and Levi for this incident. Okay, let's turn back to Acts chapter 15. So in Acts chapter 15, verse, verse 32 says, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened, strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. So remember, it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas that went back with the message. They had sent along some other believers, namely Judas and Silas, to confirm that the message from the church in Jerusalem was, don't be bothered with circumcision. You're Gentiles, you don't have to be bothered by that. Judas and Silas then went and delivered a lengthy message to the brethren. There is an opportunity and there are places for lengthy messages. Like church messages can be lengthy messages. There are other opportunities and situations where you don't give a lengthy message. So, for example, if you are street preaching, or if you are preaching to somebody or just sharing the gospel with somebody, you give different messages for different groups of people. If you're street preaching and you start saying, we are going to look into the Word of God today. And we're going to look at it from many different angles and let the light begin to shine on it. And we're going to unpack this and see how it reflects from all these different angles. I mean, you've lost them. The people have already gone. There's a message that needs to be bring forth and a message is different for different situations. The type of message, the way you speak. When I had a prison ministry, it was very short, very brief messages and, and each sentence was a message in itself. I didn't try to go into some long, drawn-out thing that had developed the story and then whack, you know, hit them at the end. You know, you, you, because you only get short allotments. And may God give us wisdom for the situation and the types of people that we're speaking with and the size of the words that we use. When we teach children, we teach differently than we teach adults. It is, it is just painful for children to sit in some sermons. It, painful sometimes, and the minds are wandering, and I don't blame them. My, my mind wanders in messages sometimes. What about kids? So, here was a place for a lengthy message. And then it says, it says that, that, that uh, uh, Silas and, and Judas returned, and then it goes on, and, and some scriptures say that Silas remained there. But in verse 35, it says, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others the word of the Lord. Now let's move into Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them. But Paul kept insisting they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right, we have just come off a, a big problem in the church. The problem was that there were Judaizers saying people had to be circumcised. And this caused such conflict. Remember all the debate that took, back, took place in Jerusalem. The scriptures did not hide this debate that took place in the church. And now you see a disagreement arising here in Antioch in the church between Paul and Barnabas. It says that 
a sharp disagreement occurred between them, so sharp that Paul and Barnabas, these two traveling companions, these two apostles, separated from the work from one another. And what I love about the Word of God, it is so real and so practical, and it gives us what happens in life. The beautiful thing about the Word of God is that the history was not kept by the kings. If history was kept and recorded by the kings of Israel... Many of the instances that are there that we see today would not have been recorded. David never would have had recorded the fact that he raped Bathsheba. The fact that he killed her husband. Because we don't report bad things about ourselves. This is just the way we are. I don't report bad things about myself generally. just think I'm a pretty good guy. And if I'm not a pretty good guy, I don't advertise that fact. The scriptures were kept by the prophets who told it like it was. All the problems of the kings. This word is being reported by Luke. And Luke is reporting this because this is exactly the way it happened. There was a disagreement, such a sharp disagreement that they couldn't work together. And this is why I love the word of God. Because it is true, it impacts our lives, and it tells it just like it is. There was all this problem occurring in the church, so much so they had to go to Jerusalem, get this thing figured out, take this letter back, and these factions. And now, division between two great prophets. Now look what happens, exactly how this occurs. In verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. You know, this is a very simple thing. He didn't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll say something that's really going to get Barnabas upset. I know what irks that guy, and I'm going to do it. He didn't do that. He said, hey, let's just, let's go, just go visit all the churches that we started on the, on the first missionary journey. Let's go visit them and strengthen the, the, the disciples there. I mean, this is a pretty nice thing, isn't it? This happens in families sometimes. Shireen will say something that's really very nice. She means absolutely nothing. And I'm like, don't you know what that means? I just said such and such. That's all. Yeah, but, you know, what that really means is this, this, and this. This happens in families. People take things wrong. This happens in my family all the time. It really does. And and because I'm this hothead. And I... Get upset about little things. This happens in relationships. We see this. I mean, poor Paul never thought some problem would arise just by suggesting we, how about we just go back and strengthen the brethren? It's a pretty innocuous comment. And now all of a sudden this big division is going to arise. Because Paul, Barnabas wanted to take John, Paul, Mark along with them. So, so John Mark was Barnabas's cousin and he wanted to take him along. Look back in... in, in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. And so then they set out on their first missionary journey. So on the first missionary journey, they had taken this young man named John Mark. Sometimes he's referred to in the scriptures as John, sometimes as Mark, sometimes John Mark. He was a young man at the time, so you had the two apostles, and then you had John Mark traveling with you. 
he was a younger guy probably there to help out, carry the baggage and things like this. And he went with them on the journey. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse, um, verse 13, Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So part way through that missionary journey, remember what they did is they first sailed from Antioch on that first missionary journey to Cyprus. They ministered in Cyprus, didn't have a whole lot of noted success in Cyprus, but with one man, uh, uh, this, this man named, named Sergius Paulus, but that's the only success mentioned. Then they sail across from Cyprus onto the mainland, and as soon as they hit the mainland, John Mark says, I'm leaving. He turns around and goes back to Jerusalem, and we know his mother's house was there in Jerusalem, because we've read before about things, the prayer meetings that took place in his mother's home. We are not told why he left. We are not told what Paul thought of his leaving, what Barnabas thought of his leaving, until here in Acts chapter 15, verse 38, Paul kept on insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So, Paul viewed John Mark's leaving as a desertion. He said, this man has deserted us. So, here is our first inkling on the way Paul felt about John Mark leaving. Remember, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. That was his name, the son of encouragement. Barnabas had a very welcoming heart. And welcoming people are like this. Oh, just forgive them. I mean, isn't that what Christianity is all about, Paul? This is what we preach, forgiveness. Just forgive the guy. And it says, Paul kept on insisting. He didn't say Paul was insisting. It says he kept on insisting. He kept saying, no. He come at him a different, no. No, we're not bringing John Mark. No way is that guy going. I'll tell you, if John Mark had known that when he decided to go back to Jerusalem, that that was the first missionary journey in all of Christianity, with the biggest apostle, Paul, and with another apostle, his cousin Barnabas, and this thing would be documented forever for everyone to read about his desertion, I guarantee you he never would have deserted. One day I said to a friend of mine, I said, you know, I'm so glad that all my faults aren't recorded like they are in the scriptures for everyone to read. He said, how do you know they're not being recorded? <laughs> He's right. I mean, how do I know what people are recording in heaven? God may forget it, forget my sins, but how do I know it's not being recorded somewhere, all of these things? John Mark left. He was just a young guy. I mean, young guys do dumb things, right? Why doesn't Paul forgive? What's going on here? And then... It says that such a sharp disagreement, it doesn't say just, they disagreed. They didn't come to the same conclusion. No, it says they, they had a sharp disagreement. I mean, here's these two guys that have gone out preaching and telling everybody about Jesus. And they're having a sharp disagreement. This is what I love about the scriptures. It tells us like it is. We see human character here. And this is why I have hope. Because if Paul could sharply disagree and dig his heels in, 
then there's hope for me. Here he has this sharp disagreement, so much so that Paul and Barnabas, who were these great buddies, couldn't travel together anymore. I mean, they had... not traveling with him. Forget it. Just looking, he couldn't even look at him. How could I sleep in the same room with this guy? We can't be in the same motel room anymore. Be in shackles together in some place. How could we sing in prison together again in the middle of the night? They keep reflecting on, on John Mark and this problem. So they decide not to travel together anymore. You'd think that they could come to some resolution here. They're just good guys, right? They're trying to do a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Go and strengthen the brethren. And so, they split up. Barnabas goes out with Mark, and he sails away to Cyprus, exactly the route they had traveled the first journey. He goes, takes Mark with him. It says, Paul chose Silas, one of these great men who had been sent from the church in Jerusalem, and being committed by their brethren to the grace of the Lord, so again, they went out with the commission of the body of Christ. They didn't just go out and say, hey, I think we'll go out on this missionary journey. Uh, I think I'll go. Yeah, I think I'll go. Boom. Go. No, remember, they went out being committed, just like they had the first time, by the brethren. They went out with the blessing of the body of Christ. You want to go out on a missionary journey? Go out with the blessing of the body of Christ. Tell Chad. Have the church begin to pray with you. Get on their prayer list. This is what the church is for. If you think that you're so cocky that you can go out without the church's blessing, fine, go. But you will be without the covering and the blessing of the church. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't go without the church's blessing. I would be afraid to go on a missionary journey without the church's blessing. I really would. I'd be afraid to go. Because the enemy is is waiting to disrupt things and to cause trouble. I want people in the body of Christ praying for me. This is what we do in the body of Christ together. Get the body of Christ to pray for you. And so even though they were a little upset about the whole way the thing was going, they didn't leave without the church's blessing. And so then they went out, and it says, Paul chose Silas, committed to the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So he went up north and around Syria and Cilicia and went this way. So when they, when they went out on the first missionary journey, what happened is, is, is uh, uh, looking from your perspective, they, they set out from uh, Syria, Antioch, they sailed across to Cyprus, then up into the mainland and across. Paul went up this way. He went the opposite direction of Barnabas. So he went up this way to get to some of the churches up this way before Barnabas did. I mean, I don't know what was going on here. But now he didn't break fellowship with Barnabas because actually he refers to Barnabas in quite, quite a friendly way in some of his epistles. But they had this sharp disagreement. You know, I went so far as to say one day to somebody, we were talking about doing research together with, 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 with some other people, and I said, I think I could... I could I could work with just about anyone. And I remember saying that to somebody. I think I would work with just about anyone. Because I felt that, you know, I was mild-mannered enough that, you know, I would understand, they would understand, we could work together. Now, eight years after I said that, you know what I wonder sometimes? So much has transpired in my life. I wonder if I can work with anyone. God has has so showed me things that arise. Now, let me just say this. A pastor once used to say, a a, a former pastor of mine, many years ago, said, "If, if everybody, if you have trouble with everybody, 
it's not everybody else's trouble. Meaning that if we have trouble with everyone, it's probably our problem. So let me just say right up front, Jim Tour has some problems. Because I have, I've had these research relationships over the last eight years. You know, me and four other professors started a company together. And that is the worst thing to do. Professors in science know nothing about business. And professors think that they know everything about everything and will just sit there and pontificate about things we don't know anything about. But we can just ramble off. And you have five of us sitting there. And after a few years, it really wasn't very pleasant anymore. Here are two men that start having problems together. So much so that they divided. And you know the amazing thing is, people will say, well, Barnabas must have been wrong because the Scriptures followed Paul's ministry. Not so. This book specifically follows two people and two people only. Peter and then the transition to Paul and that's it. So Luke was following Peter and Paul and that's it. He only followed Barnabas to the extent that Barnabas was with Paul. Maybe Barnabas was right. Although Paul never comes back and, and regrets, we never see any writing of Paul to regret what he had done. But what we do see is that God used Paul. And as far as we know, he used Barnabas as well, because Paul speaks of Barnabas in a favorable light later on in the epistles. You know, this gives me tremendous hope. Because though I may have done something wrong, though I may have had a disagreement, though there may have been a sharp disagreement, though I may have blown it and become hot-headed, you know, I'm amazed that God still uses me. You know, people will send me emails. You know, I, I heard your message on the internet. You know, and they're writing me from like Singapore. I was so blessed by that. And I'm like, you were blessed by that? God, you're still using me after I had this stuff go on in my life? This is the hope that we have. Now, the, the thing that happened because of this is now two missionary parties are going out instead of just one. Not that the disagreement was great. Not that it was ordained by God. I don't know. We, we, we aren't enlightened enough here to know. But God is able to redeem. And just because we've blown it in a relationship doesn't mean it's the end. God has given the name the Great Redeemer for a reason. Because He's able to redeem our lives even when we blow it. He's able to redeem our lives. He's able to use us even if we've blown it. Now look at this other man, John Mark. Did John Mark have anything of influence that we know about? Did he do anything that proved to be useful? Anybody? What did John Mark do that proved to be useful? Maybe a little thing? Is there a little thing that he may have done that proved to be useful? What did he do? And he, he took Paul's, Paul's books to him. They were restored to fellowship. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It 
Second Timothy chapter four, verse eleven. It says, Paul is writing here, and he says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for my service. Paul, later on in life, recognized Mark and how useful he is for his service. He said, Send him to me. He's useful for my service. But Tychius, I have sent with Ephesus. I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas and Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. So you see, he says, send Mark, and when he comes, send him with my parchments and my books. What else did John Mark do? Anything else of any value that we know of? He wrote the gospel according to Mark. I mean, that's a pretty big achievement, right? You know, I have a few publications. But none of them as big as the Gospel according to Mark. I may have more publications than John Mark, but I would much rather have the Gospel according to Mark than all my publications. That is a very, very big deal. God took this young man who totally, totally blew it, who left Paul on the first missionary journey, said, this is too rough. Look, he hadn't even seen rough. They didn't have a rough time in, in, in Cyprus. There was no rough time recorded, other than some guy named Bar-Jesus who was full of a demon came against them and, and, and Paul spoke and the guy became blind. He didn't have a rough time. They just hit the mainland. The rough time hadn't begun. Remember, the stonings hadn't begun. The being tossed into prison hadn't begun and he had left. If God was a God that was really upset and held grudges for the rest of a person's life, why would he have John Mark write the gospel according to Mark? Just use another guy. But he took this young guy who was so in utter failure, had left the missionary journey, and used him to become, to restore the relationship with Paul. Paul recognized how useful this young man is. Used him to... Bring together some of the books, and then here this guy is believed to be the Mark of Mark's gospel. The gospel according to Mark. God is the great redeemer. God is the great redeemer in relationships. You know, things happen in relationships. Things happen in relationships with people. I'm amazed at how complex human beings are. I am a great father of little children. Because if there's ever problems, I just pick them up and I tickle them and it's all done. They're happy and I'm happy. But all of a sudden, adolescence comes. And there's all these chemicals that start being released. And people become very, very complex. You smile at them the wrong way and they take offense. That's how complex we are. Or you... Forget to notice them and you happen to walk by and not say hello because you just didn't notice them. You were focused on something else. And they take offense. He walked right by me without saying anything. I'm offended. I'm upset. This is how complex people are. You take two of these entities, you try to put them together, problems arise. This does not mean the ministry is over. 
This doesn't mean the ministry is over with you. Or that God's use of you is over. And then there are times where we really blow it. You know, I've really blown it in ministry. Never as much as leaving a great apostle in the midst of the first missionary journey. So couldn't God use me in the midst of how much I've blown it? You know, I have taught things. You know, when, when you stand up in front of people and you teach, I've taught things that are wrong. At the time, I thought it was right. But I interpreted it wrong. And I taught it. And you'd think that, you know, there's scriptures that talk about you know, how dangerous a thing that is. And how teachers will undergo a stricter judgment. But, you know, God is able to use us. There is hope for us. And there's hope even when we fail. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Word of God, for the richness of the Scriptures, for the richness of the Word of God. Father, I thank you that you are the great Redeemer. You are the one who restores. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of disagreements, in the midst of sharp disagreements, Father, you can still use us. Father, thank you that every life is redeemable and useful for your service. Father, I pray for these young people that they would not be inhibited by a difficult past, by a rebellious past from thinking that they could be used in the future. And Father, I pray that in their future failures, that though they may fall, though they may stumble, it would not cause them to fall headlong, but that they would rise up and be used again. Father, I pray that through the Scriptures, we would be able to maintain hope. Thank you, Lord, for not hiding anything, but saying it exactly like what happened. Thank you, Father, for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen.